Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by Michelle Anhang. Good afternoon, or good morning, I should say, for you. Hello, thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure. So tell us, uh, Michelle, who are you, what are you doing, where are you from? Who am I? <laughs> That's such an Deep. existential question. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Straight off the big time board, yeah. straight into the deep end. I love it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um, so I, um, I live in Toronto, Canada. I'm a mom of two sons uh, who are 21 and 18. My younger one's just off to university for his first time. So I'm an empty nester. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> so that's a little bit about me. And um, I'm also a professional certified coach. And I work with families and individuals living with mental health challenges and those moving forward after loss. Okay. Why a coach? Why a coach? Uh, because that, is, that was a long journey to get to after many, many years in the corporate world. Um, and this is the most meaningful work I've ever done and has me excited every day when I wake up to be able to work with my clients. So that's why. <laughs> yeah, okay. So what's, I'm going to go straight in here. Why not? You know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, let's, okay, let's, let's do first things first. In terms of, I mean, what does fire in the belly mean to you? What is fire? It's, it's what lights you up. It lights me up. Mm. That's what, what gets me excited. Um, my passion, my purpose. Uh, yeah, it's, it's lit, being lit. <laughs> do, you, do you know what that is? be lit well for you what's what lights your for me yes um serving people being able to have conversations like this going deep and just exploring what makes us human and you know what life is about you know all the messiness of it (laughs) and and just yeah exploring exploring what makes people tick Mm. what does make us human what makes us human? Well, living and breathing and <laughs> all that piece and screwing a lot of things up. <laughs> you have to screw stuff was, up to be human. I love it. I'm, I'm professional. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think once I gave myself the permission that like that's actually part of it, it made life a heck of a lot easier for me. Mm. Uh, yeah. I spent many years thinking the opposite of just, you know, you got to do things a certain way and you got to do it right and make sure everybody else is happy with you. And, and that's where you'll find your joy and realize, yeah, that's so not true. <laughs> so it sounds like you've been on a bit of a journey then, but tell us, where are you now? Are you, you know, are you happy with yourself? Are you in alignment and yes. full of joy? Totally in alignment. Um, yeah, and I say that now, and then in five years, I'm going to be laughing, but like, oh, I thought I was so in alignment, <laughs> but that's great. I, I look forward to that day. <laughs> but um, today, I'm feeling quite aligned. 
Today, I'm feeling like the work that I'm doing has purpose. The way that I live my life and raise my kids or have raised them um, has meaning and purpose. Um, it reflects who I really am at my core, the things that, that make me happy. And I know I'm in alignment because it's, it's not a struggle. Life is a heck of a lot easier. Like I just get to say, show up as myself and kind of lean back and say, okay, universe, bring it. And, and it does. And, and it's just, you know, things show up that are, you know, just bring me more light and, you know, like that fire in my belly a bit more. <laughs> so it's just continuing to just learn and grow and love and, you know, lot, lots of good things. Mm. That's amazing. I mean, I love, I love your passion when you talk about it and you can see smile ear to ear as well, that you're just in a contentment. Is that a fair thing? That's, that's a great word. Yes. Hmm. That's a lovely place to be. And I'm getting a lot of kinesthetic language here. Yep. <laughs> that's that me. <laughs> sounds, sounds very right. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Awesome, I amazing. love dancing. I love, love movement. So yeah. Okay. What's, that's a big what's, part of who I am. Talk to us about dancing. Dancing. So I love that question because that's been quite a journey for me. Um, I, I always, always loved to dance. And I, I grew up in a pretty um, strict home, strict you know, community with lots of rules, lots of things and, and stories around what you should be and what a good girl or a good woman <laughs> is supposed to look like and speak like and move like. And, um, uh, and I realized that that was one of the ways um, that I had shut myself down and, and made myself small was in the way that I moved. And um, about 10 years ago, I decided I'm going to pursue pursue this passion for dance. It was always like, you know, wherever we'd be, it's like, you know, people would be dancing and, you know, everyone's caring how they look. And I'd want to just be jumping up and down <laughs> and really just full expression. And, um, you know, but there were all the stories that got in the way. And so when I first signed up for dance, I did... Um, Latin and ballroom dancing, you know, some swing, you know, different styles there. And I remember um, having this moment of awakening um, in one of the lessons where we were learning rumba, which is, you know, pr a pretty sensual dance. And I couldn't move that way. I was just like, oh my God, my, my hips don't move well, then I went home and I was just like drowning in shame, bawling my eyes out. And, you know, and it was just like, I can't believe this dance class had this effect on me. And I went back the next time and I told the teacher, like the instructor about that. I was like, I had a complete meltdown. And he was like, okay, well, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, this goes against everything in my upbringing about, you know, like religious and all of that of just, you know, how, how I should and shouldn't be moving. And I've got to overcome that story. And um, so I did a series of private dance lessons just to learn how to do the figure eight swivel of my hips. <laughs> And so when they say, you know, you can't put a price on certain things, I actually could put a price on that piece of awakening. And so, yeah, after, you know, having a number of lessons and learning and, you know, getting, 
you know, getting better at it and getting more comfortable in it, it was just like, okay, yes, this is a form of expression that I had disconnected from that was such a huge part of who I am and just embraced it more. And um, so I, I continued with the dancing, but I, I reached a point where the ballroom and well, all of those, those structured dance classes felt a little too constricting for me. It was just like, I don't want to have to do, you know, like I love waltz. It's a beautiful, graceful dance, but I don't want to have to tilt my head this way. If I don't want to, I want to just jump up and down. And so um, I found ecstatic dance, which I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, it, it goes back in history to tribal dances and, you know, body shaking and just moving to the rhythm of the music in whatever way your body is called to do it. Um, it's done uh, while you're listening to music playing. There's no speaking. We dance barefoot to connect to Mother Earth. And so it's, it's seen as, as like a, a form of moving meditation. So it's just dropping out of your head and not thinking about what's the move I'm going to do next, but actually just feeling into it and fully letting go. And um, once uh, yeah, I went to the first class, and it's funny because I had seen there were, you know, those, they had the weekly dances at the same studio where I, I was taking the lessons. And it was always like, oh, that's just too out there for me. <laughs> And then, yeah, I reached the point where it was just like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. And I went, you know, showed up and it was like, oh my God, I'm home. Like I can jump up and down. I can shake. I can do whatever. And for one thing, like nobody's looking at me. Nobody's judging me. Nobody cares. And, you know, there's the guy on the floor that's slithering like a snake and the other people that are just rolling around. And then the other guy who's having some sort of seizure. So like, I'm actually like not even the weirdest one in the room. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> and, you know, from that point, I, I started going twice a week and just really explored, you know, what it's like to take up space, like just move all around the dance floor, navigate between the people, fully express in whatever way felt right. And, and it was one of the most liberating experiences of my life and, and such a huge part of, you know, becoming who I am today. Was there any point in your life you were able to do that before? No. <laughs> well, not, not that I gave myself permission to. Mm, yeah. Mm. It's quite telling really, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. We call free form dancing. It's, yeah, it's called ecstatic dance. Ecstatic dance, I like it. Yeah. I like it. There's a lot there. Yeah. Check it out. It's, it's all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, there's so many people, it's like dance, like, what is it, the expression dance like no one's watching, I think is what yes. brings to mind. Yeah. And here it's like, you know, people can watch, but really no one cares. Like they're actually, I think, you know, a big piece of it. And, and I have times too, where it's just, I may not feel like I have the energy to dance, but I will just sit quietly and watch others. And, you know, there's something so beautiful about watching people in full expression. 
and just letting go and, and being in the space and, you know, allowing whatever emotions that want to come up, come up because sometimes it's joy, but sometimes, you know, there's grief or, you know, sadness or rage, you know, and, and just people not feeling they need to hold back in that expression is, you know, I think we all feel that. And, and, you know, I think that's part of why we're here now is just, you know, hearing other people's stories and seeing other people doing things that maybe we want to be doing, you know, gives us that little extra piece of permission of like, okay, they're doing it. And, you know, I'm not judging them and I think they're kind of cool. So maybe I can do it too. So that's, um, you know, I, I gotten that extra piece from, from dance as well of just, you know, that, that fully just, just being and allowing ourselves to just be. Is that, is that the true you? That's definitely the true me. Yeah. Wow. I'm loving the smile. The smile is like, here to here. It's, just like, <laughs> it's like, no, I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. you're sort of hiding it so well. Yeah. I'm still like, for some well, reason. Yeah, you know, so this picture of this crazy lady going around the dance floor, but yeah. So. Oh yeah, totally. And loving every minute of it. <laughs> What's the, what is it about the whole thing then? I mean, I'm just curious because I mean, it's obviously invoking such joy in you really. Mm-hmm. Um, well, something I, I have learned about myself in my journey is that my number one value is freedom. And so now that I am aware of that, it, it really, um, helps clarify so many things for me, helps, you know, direct the decisions that I make of just how does this impact my freedom? Does this take away from it? Does it enhance it? And for me, ecstatic dance is freedom. That's so strong because I'm actually reflecting back in terms of, you know, you mentioned about the good girl, good woman, you know, that scenario of growing up. I mean, Mm -hmm sounds like you were almost sort of forced to be a pleaser or a conformist. Have I picked Completely. That up yeah. Yeah. Yep. I grew up um, in a home with a, with parents who were not mentally healthy, um, who were also quite fear driven from their own life experiences, who projected a lot of fear onto myself and my siblings about, you know, be, being fearful of the world essentially. It was just, you know, the world is a scary place and do things the way that we say and that we, what we approve of. And, and then you'll be okay as long as you don't stray. (laughs) So, you know, it's like very, very, very small box to fit into. Mm -hmm. So that was how I thought life needed to be lived, you know, by, by many, many rules and, um, you know, and by approval and, you know, fearing that, you know, I, I would be cut off either by my family, by my community, by friends, whoever it was, if I didn't um, conform to these accepted rules. Hmm. Who, I mean, just, you know, that sort of fear of cutting off. I mean, where was that driven from, do you know? Oh, yeah. I've, my family, you know, generations back, people would cut each other off for whatever reasons. So, yeah, it, estrangement was was something that I grew up with you know this one's not talking to this one or that one or yeah and you know my my parents at this point because I'm living the life that I want to live are you know have estranged you know we're estranged and have been for many years now 
So it's, um, yeah, I mean, now I'm, I'm at a point where it's just, you know, okay, thank you. And I'm, I'm living my life and honoring that value of freedom and saying it's, it's unfortunate that they, they can't find the joy that I have found. Mm. So I'm kind of wondering how, how would you be perceived by them then? Is this like, yeah, she's kind of crazy off here too? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I've probably lost my mind to them. I don't know what I've been asked, but I'm pretty sure that's i uh, I'm kind of getting yeah. this feeling. This is actually fueling you. You're kind of going, yeah, I'm totally crazy. That's cool. You know? Yeah. I'm okay. If that's, if mm. that's what they think of me, that's, you know, there, there's a saying, what other people think of you is none of your business. And, and I really, I live by that because I know the pain that um, the other story caused me of you need to care what other people think. Mm. And I know that I don't feel the pain when I don't worry about what other people think. So mm. it seems like an obvious choice to me. It's now, interesting I, connection. I, Thinking and pain is one and the same. It can be when, when you're conditioned that way and you're mm. told over, you know, many, many years and, you know, brought up in that kind of way of, yeah, this, this is just the way things are done. And, and it's, you know, in, in the way I was brought up, it was better not to think, just do. And, and my mother would even say that to me, like, you know, I, I made all the mistakes already, just do it the way that I tell you to do it and you'll be fine. And it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> Thanks, that serves me only maybe for the first four years of my life. But you know, what about the rest? But she was saying that into my adulthood. So yeah, it's a little mm. scary. And I, I was buying into it until I didn't. So funny, I mean, it'd be handy if life came, you know, life experiences came on a USB. You'd be like, yeah, yeah, just don't do that, don't yeah. do that. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. sure it's... Uh, and, you know, obviously you're with yourself being a, you know, you mentioned they're a parent and 21 and 18, you know, some mm -hmm. interesting times too, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. But they're, they're great. I mean, I raised them by doing the completely opposite thing from the way I was brought up. That was, those were my guiding principles of like, how was I raised? Okay. Go the other way. And I have an amazing relationship with my sons. We're very close. They talk to me about things that, many young men don't talk to their mothers about <laughs> and you know and i'm i think i'm known as the more laid-back parent with with many of their friends of just you know that i'm accepting and and that's you know and and i'm proud of that because i do live my life now um in acceptance and we were talking about you know what it is to be human and being messy and and making mistakes and it's like yeah that's cool like you know, there are certain, you know, and I've told my kids throughout their life when they would do things like, yeah, there are rites of passage we all need to go through. And this is one of those. And this, you're just learning about yourself. Like, it's okay to fall, get back up, you know, take some of the lessons and you keep going. Do you, do you, know, good. Do you know yourself now? Are you in that place? I, I am pretty sure, but I'm also, um, open to learning more. It's, it's funny. I read um, a book recently, Personality Isn't Permanent by Benjamin Hardy. Uh, do you know of the book? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Amazing book. <laughs> and um, the premise of, of the book is that, you know, a lot of these personality tests that we do now um, 
are very limiting because it, it puts us in a box of like, oh, if you see yourself as an introvert, then you're going to do things that introverts do. You might not stretch yourself because you're, you don't identify as an extrovert. And, and it throws, you know, he throws that idea out and he says, personality is not permanent. We can choose who we want to be in every moment. And um, his idea is that we create a vision of our future self and who we want to be, you know, how we want to feel, how, you know, what we want our life to look like. And we set the standard today for, you know, the standard of everything that we do based on whether or not it serves our future self. So I don't know who my future self is, is going to be. I have an idea, but I also don't want to limit her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I am, very open to the idea of being adaptable to, you know, I'm thinking this way or I'm being this way because this is what I know today. And tomorrow I might be open to something completely different. So um, I know who I am today, but I don't know who I might be tomorrow. <laughs> that's, <laughs> I mean, that's the best way I can explain that. <laughs> I mean, but do you, do you then try and do you have a certain mantra you live by or some, you know, a, a guiding ethos? Yeah, um, I definitely have values that I live by. And um, yeah, I'm very um, emotion focused so if this feels good or right then i'll do that and if it doesn't then i won't so i live i live by that but again open to always always growing and learning like that's the exciting part of of the journey mm. and if something is right for you how do you know i feel it in my gut just it's just a sense and um, even, you know, it's, uh, I'm looking, I have on a little sticky note here above my computer. It says, make your future self the new standard for your daily behavior. And so, you know, I do have that image of my future self. And so when I'm, you know, I, I find that that has actually made it so much easier for me to make decisions of just like, okay, who am I today? And something might feel good in the moment, but it's like, okay, does this serve me and what I want in life. And then the answer, you know, to a darn clear and quick of just like, it's a hell yes, or it's a hell no. <laughs> so, so I, I just, I follow that and, and try not to look at external rule books and guidebooks along the way. I think if I can look in the mirror and say, you know, yeah, I feel like I'm a good person and I've done well today, then, then that's really what matters. Mm. Do you, do you like you? Do you value you? Do you love you? I do. Yes. Yes. And I say that again with a big smile because it was a journey to get to this place, but mm. yes, I can say that today I do. What's, when was the tipping point in your life? When did that change or? Mm. Gee, there were so many, but I think for me, um, the real shift was about five, five years ago where, um, I recognized that I had made so many choices from a place of shame, um, that, I was in so much pain and all these choices and I was tolerating so many things in my life because I didn't love myself. 
I can, I can even go as far as saying like I was filled with self-loathing because I, you know, was, was, you know, from the conditioning <laughs> and then, you know, just life experiences and choices that I made that just kept perpetuating the shame that I believed. Um, I didn't like who I was. And I, I reached a point when I it was around my 45th birthday where it was just like, okay, I've, I've been in so much pain. I can't live the next half of my life like this. And um, I, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know how to do it. I knew I needed help. And that's when I went, you know, started doing therapy to start healing from a lot of, you know, my experiences and my conditioning. And slowly that, you know, I, I started to, to appreciate and value and trust the person that I am. And just by continuously leaning into that and doing more things, you know, based on what's right for me, it, you know, it just, I, I started loving myself more and more because I, I was like, yeah, I could totally trust myself. Whereas before I didn't, it was just like, I had to need, I needed that external validation of, you know, okay, will I be met with approval? Will I, you know, now it's like, yeah, I, I approve of me. That's good enough. So, Yeah. Because I was going to ask you, I mean, how was, how was that, you know, how was that serving you at that time? I mean, you mentioned approval. There. Well, yeah. Um, well, I, you know, if we want to go down that pain path. <laughs> we can go there. I can tell you just how, how bad my life got. Um, so I got married very young. Um, I was, well, my husband and I knew each other from the age of eight. We grew up in, in the same community, started dating at 18 and got married at 22. And um, partly because that's, you know, what people in our community did. And, you know, I loved him and I also wanted to get out of my parents' house. <laughs> so, you know, lots, lots of driving factors there. But no, I, I you know, that being said, I loved him dearly. He was my best friend. And um, sadly, we didn't know at the time or for many years that he had mental illness. Um, and so it was only after we had both of our kids um, were you know, around, you know, in our very early 30s, um, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and um, a type of schizophrenia. And it was pretty advanced by the time we got the diagnosis. And um, he had given up hope and ended up dying by suicide. And um, the family made the choice because, you know, we don't talk about imperfection. So first of all, nobody knew about the mental illness. We were keeping it a secret you know, shame upon shame, his shame, my shame, you know, and bipolar is, is a very challenging disorder. Well, schizophrenia too, because there are voices telling the person to do things. And, you know, when they're depressed, they're in bed. And, but when they're manic, they're out there, they are very visible and doing things that are quite erratic. And so, you know, there, there was some embarrassment around, around the behaviors. And um, so we were kind of keeping things, you know, on, on, you know, quiet and not talking about it. And then when he died by suicide, it's like, okay, now how do we explain this? Because nobody knew he was sick. And so, yeah, the family decided we're going to say it was an accident, which I went along with. And, you know, partly for my shame, I, of course, went to like, okay, how might this be my fault? How might I be viewed? You know, will, you know, 
how will this impact my kids? There, there were many things um, that I, I, why I agreed to go along with it. And I kept that secret for almost 11 years. So um, I didn't grieve a suicide. I grieved a fake accident. Um, I was living a lie. I was isolating myself. And of course, you know, we all want to see ourselves as good people, or at least I hope we all do, (laughs) but I did. And so living with this, you know, this dual life of, you know, inwardly grieving the suicide and knowing everything I'd been through and then outwardly having to tell people that I met it was an accident or if, you know, people I knew would ask for details, oh, I don't want to talk about it. You know, I just felt, kept feeling like a liar and a fraud. And um, so that sort of, you know, that shame and, um, you know, again, the people pleasing and all of these, these stories of, you know, how I believed I was supposed to be just led me to make choices that were not in my best interest um, you know, seeking relationships that were very, very unhealthy, um, staying in um, corporate jobs that I wasn't happy in. Um, you know, I, you know, being a single mom, it was like, okay, I have this job. I, I worked in uh, finance for 10 years and I thought, well, you know, I'm a single mom. I, you know, need this job. It's a secure job. I can't just walk away. What will people think? And, you know, and I didn't dare to dream either. So it wasn't like, well, what do I actually want to do with my life? I never thought I I had that choice. It was, you know, it was never even a question I could answer because my life had been so directed for me that I didn't know how to dream. Um, So, yeah, reaching that tipping point at 45 of just realizing, you know, at that time that, you know, okay, it was almost 10 years now I was in that job. I was in a relationship that um, was the closest I had ever come to reliving my, my parental home, and um, which was an extremely painful experience. And I was just like, I just can't do this anymore. I will do whatever it takes to not live this way. And I didn't know what that meant, but I was just like, you know, the pain of healing can't be worse than the pain I'm living right now. And so, yeah, just did some deep, deep therapy, some hard work. I'm, I'm, you know, a lot. Well, (laughs) well, first of all, thank you for for sharing because there's so much there. Can I, do you mind if I ask what age you are? Yeah, I'm 49. I was going to say because I couldn't quite. Well, I didn't want to do the maths. It's sort of to shame, but it's it's um, it's why why forty five? I mean, what, what's midlife crisis? I don't know. Great I opportunity. Was... I, I love a midlife crisis. So. <laughs> right? Who doesn't love a good midlife crisis? Thank God. Mid- for midlife those. opportunity. We say you know. Yes. Yes. Exactly. But I mean, for me, it was definitely a crisis <clears throat> because I was I was my life was a sham. You know, it, I was not living my own life i was living based on on the these stories and Mm. ideas of what everybody else what i thought everybody else wanted me to be i don't even know Mm. if they cared (laughs) they probably didn't yes as i know now people don't think about us as much as we think about they think we think that they think about us you know we're all too busy worrying about ourselves but um yeah when you have that belief then it's it's hard Mm. to argue it 
Just put the timeline on me here. So, I mean, you married mm-hmm. at 22. Um, yeah, and widowed at 34. Wow. It's 12 years on, really. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the, the, when did the diagnosis sort of come into play there as well? Um, I was about 31. Yeah, something like that. And we were the same age. Wow. So, yeah, he had just turned 35 when he lost his life. Wow. And, you know, really, I suppose for you then is going through, it's, you know, this, you know, fast forward, you know, as you mentioned, those sort of 11 years of, you know, living the lie, as you call it, you know, I think. If I remember yeah. Right. Yeah. Just take me right back, first of all. I mean, what, what did, you know, Minnie Michelle, what did, what did she want to do when she grew up? She didn't know. She waited for her mother to tell her. Hmm. Because that was how we did things in our family. Did you ever know? No. No, I didn't. I, I, I think that um, I believed it was wrong to dream. And, and it was an act of rebellion to want something other than what I was told to do. Mm. And I didn't dare rebel because the repercussions were not <laughs> pleasant. That's not what a good girl so, does. No, no. And, and I would be reminded of that if, if, uh, if I did do my own thing. I do, I do remember being a pretty feisty young kid and wanting, wanting to break free, um, but I didn't dare. What were the consequences? Um, lots of, well, I mean, it was emotionally abusive to, you know, on the best of days and, and manipulation, but, um, you know, threats, you know, emotional abuse, just being told, you know, being told I was stupid, being told I, you know, didn't know what I wanted, that I made stupid mistakes. They weren't just mistakes, they were stupid mistakes. Let's not, you know, let's make sure we get that right. And, um, you know, sometimes there, there, was, def- there was physical um, repercussions as well. And, you know, it, it was, it was this fear. I mean, my mother instilled this deep fear in all of us that we didn't even dare, you know, to rebel because we were afraid of what we haven't seen yet. Hmm. You know why she did that? Yeah. She's a very unhealthy person. Do you know why? Um, I have my assumptions, but without a formal diagnosis, um, I've had, you know, enough therapists tell me what they think and, you know, and from, from my own education Mm -hmm. and, you know, I have my guesses, but I, I don't want to name anything just because it's, you know, it wouldn't be a formal diagnosis, but I, I do know that, you know, Aside from what I might think, you know, might be diagnosable, um, she grew up the child of Holocaust survivors. She had gone through um, the Russian Revolution in Hungary when she was five. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had to escape, you know, hiding under blankets, you know, being, you know, carried away in a horse-drawn cart to, you know, move to Austria in the middle of the night, leaving everything behind. So, you know, I think. Um, you know, there was a lot of her own PTSD. And I think that in her way, this is how she thought she was being a good mother. Um, 
but I don't, but it, you know, it didn't serve us. Because I'm always, I'm always of interest in the, you know, the comment, you know, you avoid your values and, you know, quite mm -hmm. often things are, you know, it's, it's the, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's the, it's not the cause quite often things, you know, are a lot of things that, you know, it's the cause, not the symptom. Yeah. You know, and so I'm not saying it's right at all, but I'm, I'm just curious always about mm -hmm. the background, you know, and, and yeah. You know. Yeah. I think, I think she, um, she is very fear. I know she is very fear driven. Mm. And so I think that this just ha was how she thought she could take care of her kids. And then if we did our own thing, the only way she could bring us back in line was kind of to tear us down so that we didn't try again. Siblings, did you have any? Uh, yes, I have three siblings. Well, so you guys yeah, stay I'm, in touch? Um, I'm in touch with one mm. right now. Mm. But that was, you know, a very very challenging because unfortunately, you know, my mother's way of raising her kids was divide and conquer. So that's how she maintained the hierarchy. And um, so, yeah, it's only now one of my siblings who's doing their own deep work um, reached out to me a couple of years ago and said, okay, I get it now. <laughs> and I'm seeing things in a different way and we need to talk. And it was like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> So yeah, it's. Uh, how would you have helped you back then? How would I have helped me? Hmm. I don't know. I think you know, probably calling children's services or children's aid, whatever. They, you know. I know I have I have family members who, uh, you know once I became an adult, said that there were times where they were very tempted to do that, but they were all terrified of, you know, my mother coming after them. <laughs> so, yeah, so they didn't. Um, but I think really removing us would have been the only option. Well. You know, not to say that that would have been a better option either. Because mm. I've, you know, when I, when I worked in law, I, I actually worked in um, the area of child apprehension. And so I, I saw firsthand what the experiences were and, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I know this was my journey and, you know, I'm, I'm happy for where I'm at today. So, you know, I, I try not to look at the what ifs because I don't, I don't think it serves me. Hmm. So through, through um, senior school and things, what, what sort of a character were you then? Senior school, high school? High school, sorry, yes. High school, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was a follower. I went along with what people did. I, I got sneaky. I did. But, you know, sometimes I was busted on. It, and then it wasn't fun. Um, you know, many, many screaming matches with my mother. Um, I always said, you know, she brought out a side in me that no one else has seen. <laughs> that, you know. Thankfully, you know, I haven't experienced in decades either. But um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, fight, trying to fight for my independence and, and my own life. But then, you know, just being, being beaten down emotionally to the point where it was just like, okay, I give up. And, 
so I think, you know, that is one of the reasons why I was happy to be getting married at a young age. I'm curious. I mean, you, you talked about, you know, we, and you talked about a community. Was this a, an organized community or was this something else? Or can I ask? Both. Yeah, both. Um, yeah, I don't want to call out any communities because there That's are cool. many like that. But often when when we're in smaller, tighter communities, there there are rules and, you know, then when religion gets thrown in, there's you know, a whole other things. So, yeah, just there, there were many layers of rules mm-hmm. in, in my life. So, you know, I can't pinpoint any one of them, but, you know, just being part of so many structures where that existed, you kind of think that's just all there is in the world. Well, so Mario to 22, what, what work-wise, what were you doing at that point? At that point, I was working as a law clerk. I had finished my BA in psychology, but um, didn't want to go into into that work. And um, why not? You know, I, 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 I mean, I think. Well, I mean, I, I know the stories I told myself of why not. But I think the truth is, I'm so unhealthy. I don't think I could have helped anybody. <laughs> the blind, the blind comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, um, I think I I needed to do my own work on myself before I could get to a place to really feel good about helping other people. So um, yeah, the law clerk thing was, well, guess what? My mother told me, hey, why don't you do that? <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> and that's really how it, how it happened, actually. <laughs> and so I, I did that and, you know, told myself it was, it was a good job because it was nine to five and I could leave work behind and, you know, gave me what I needed to be, you know, a wife and a mom. And so I did that because that was the right thing to do. <laughs> Interesting the language there, as in you told yourself, as in it sounds like you've almost at some point you've you've split on the road and saying, well, okay, this is me, but I now need to sort of tell me to, you know, do, oh, are you yeah. conscious of that split? Oh, completely. Yeah. I realized that my in, um, my inner voice and my inner critic was my mother. And so, yes, even after I left the house. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It it was primarily her. It was what was, what would my mother say? I mean, I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but it was, but you know, during my healing journey, I, I had that wake up call of like, Oh my God. So now I'm, I'm out of the house and I am living my own life and she's not abusing me. So I just, took over the role and started abusing myself. Because that was your values, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, law clerk, how did that treat you? Not great. <laughs> I love that you're laughing about it. I'm sort of laughing with you because... Yeah. You know, you know I mean, I could laugh or I could cry. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't feel the pain in the same way. And I, I can't, you know, I, I think laughter is the best medicine when, when mm. we can laugh at ourselves and go, wow, you know, and I, and I don't do it in a mocking way. Mm. Um, it's more of a lighthearted way of just, you know, not taking myself so seriously. Cause I, I did, you know, it, it, 
you know, I've gone through that stage and, you know, speaking publicly and, and being in the pain. I've healed much of that. And yeah, I could look back and just shake my head and say like, wow, I, I was in so much resistance all the time. And it's like, oh, poor me. <laughs> you know? But, but um, yeah, I don't, I, I, it, I feel it's healthier for me to see it from this perspective and, and, and be compassionate. You know, it's just like, yeah, I like, wow. <laughs> I was a bad movie. <laughs> do, you, do you recognize yourself? I mean, is it almost like that's a completely different life or? It was a completely different life. You know, it's, it's interesting because now that I am working on my book, I'm going through some old journals. I, I burned most of them and I'm kind of regretting that. But then at the same time in, in you know, the, the ones that I found on my laptop that I was rereading, I'm like, oh, thank God I burned those other ones because it's like, wow. You know, like it takes me back to a place where, you know, now being in this place that I'm in and having the detachment from it, I look and I and I can see how clear it was where I was self-sabotaging. Um, you know, but but I also remember the mindset I was in at that time of just, you know, somebody please love me because I don't love me and my parents have not loved me and you know, just somebody, you know, and just really, you know, I remember a therapist once saying to me, it was like that Dr. Seuss book, Are You My Mother? Like, I was just literally looking around and like would latch on to anybody who I thought had the potential to love me. And because I only knew love from unhealthy people, I was, that's who I latched on to. I thought I had my best chances with those people, you know, obviously, you know, on an unconscious level. But, um, you know, that, that was my pattern. But yeah, just, you know, re reading the journals and the pain that I was in and justifying that pain, even at times saying like, I know I'm going to get hurt by this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Like actually I wrote that out. I'm going to see where this journey takes me. It's like, oh my God, why, why would I do that to myself? <laughs> You know, like I, now I'm just like, okay, well, let's take the easier route that feels good. <laughs> and like, well, you know, now I, I choose not to put myself into those kinds of positions. I'm just like, yeah, this doesn't feel so good. So, you know, and I think, you know, many of us do that because we just, that's what we know. And we build up a tolerance mm. to the pain. So it, you know, for us to actually feel that tremendous amount of pain it's got to get really really bad so yeah anything that was like you know below a seven was manageable for me because that's just how what i i thought life was at mm. it's, i suppose as well i mean I'm, you know obviously you're coming across very kinesthetically as well so it's like you know you feel the pain as in mm. you know if i'm not feeling it and then I'm not taught how to feel or I'm told not to feel. So hence the circle goes on in terms of don't feel, right. I can't feel, what do I do? How do I feel? Yeah. And don't trust your feelings. That was another one that I, you know, was told not to trust my feelings. You know, when, when, you know, my mother would say, you know, I would say, well, this is, you know, no, you're wrong. This is what's true. So I was really um, taught to, to doubt myself. 
which just created that, you know, or reinforced that dependency. Can I ask you, did you ever try to hurt yourself? No. I was too afraid of what will everyone think of me if I do. <laughs> right? Wow. Yeah. 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 That's quite something. Yeah. And, there, and there, you know, there was also the, um, the element of perfectionism that um, is, is something that I've, I've spoken publicly about being a re- recovering perfectionist and, you know, everything needs to look good on the outside. And, um, you know, there, you know, now as I'm writing my book, you know, I, I've been thinking how, you know, so many stories start with, you know, the, the main character finding themselves like, on the bathroom floor in this, you know, mess. And that's when they have their moment of awareness. And it's like, I wouldn't do that because the floor is, you know, I've just cleaned the floor. I'm not going to mess it up. (laughs) So that wouldn't be me. (laughs) And, but that was really it. It's just, you know, maintaining that, that perfect illusion of everything is fine and dandy. And, and I had mastered it, you know, just, just, shut everything down, put on the makeup, have the hair look great. And, you know, nobody will know what's going on on the inside. And, you know, it's interesting too, because I remember um, a friend of mine telling me how someone had commented after my husband died, she looks too good for someone whose husband just passed away. And it was like, you know, part of me felt a little bit of pride, I'll be honest, (laughs) you know, and the other part of me was like, well, that's the only thing in my life right now I have control over is my hair and my makeup. And so that was the little bit of control that I was holding on to because, you know, I didn't know how to be in an uncontrolled or, you know, chaotic environment because everything had been so tightly held until that point. Knowing now what you know, I mean, what what sort of labels or what would you be, what boxes mm. would you be taking for you back then? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, um, you mean to be labeling myself? Mm. Oh, well, perfectionist was definitely one. Um, you know, pleaser, we mentioned. Uh, follower doormat um you know i i there there was you know i i'm you know now kind of shifting out of the negative things <laughs> you know and i definitely had the independence i had courage mm. um and i fought myself on those so that's why i'm thinking like you know would i tick those boxes now it's you know a very complicated question for me because it's mm. like yeah those those characteristics were always in me. Like I always knew something was wrong with my family. And, you know, I remember saying to my friends, like, you know, I think my family's crazy. And they'd be like, yeah, I think my family's crazy too. I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) Mine is next level crazy. Like I know your family. They're cool. (laughs) They love each other. They're nice. Um, But I, so I always had that sense and I always did kind of want to break free. And I, you know, and, and I mentioned, you know, being, you know, remembering being much younger and being feisty and being independent and wanting to do my own thing. So I think that was always um, in me, but I resisted it so much. So, you know, I'll check the self-defeating box there, but I will also check the feisty and independent and courageous boxes too. Yeah. 
because today I'm in a more loving and compassionate place. <laughs> I mean, going back and, and from what you were saying, mm-hmm. would, would anyone have been able to tell from the outside? Oh, no, no one knew. Mm. No one knew. And that's, yeah, yeah. And that's so common in many dysfunctional families, um, you know, especially on the work that I'm doing now. That's such a, a common theme of, you know, we're all in the car yelling and screaming or being yelled at and screamed at. And then we get out of the car and we paint that, you know, put the mask on. <laughs> and it's like, hi, yeah, mm. we're, we're the perfect family. Mm. So, yeah, it was being a master at um, hiding, hiding who I was and hiding how I really felt. Mm. What's, what's your earliest memory? My earliest memory? <laughs> My earliest memory is having a crush on a boy in high school. <laughs> Not in high school, sorry, in kindergarten. In kindergarten. What was his name? Um, his name is Sean. And he had the most beautiful blue eyes I had ever seen with long eyelashes. And I remember wanting to sit next to him in circle time. <laughs> what age were you? Five. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it's amazing. There's sort of, you know, straight away, there's a big smile there. And, a, you know, the, the laugh is great to yeah. see. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that was spice to me saying like, okay, how can, how can I sit closer to him? <laughs> I love it. We're mischievous. Yeah. What, I mean, what is, your, what is your character default? What would somebody describe you as? Mm. It's such a good question because it really depends on when you met me. <laughs> um, the true you then. The true me, um, the true me is filled with love. Mm. Um, I, I am very loving. I am very accepting. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm smiling now because I'm thinking, what would my kids say? <laughs> they have a whole other story of like who I think I am. Um, no, they, I think they, they think that too, except for when they're mad at me. Then, then I, you know, it's a different story. Um, but um, that I love life, that I'm courageous, um, that I'm giving. I think, you know, some of my old patterns show up sometimes. Um, and so that, you know, they see those too. I think they also see me as unapologetic and just very accepting of like, yeah, this is who I am. And, and these are my, my quirks and yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's all real. I love that. I mean, what, what's been your parenting style? Um, it depends again at what point in my life. So when, um, when I was, trying to find some semblance of normalcy in a very chaotic situation where I was lying about the truth about my husband's death. Mm. Um, I, there, you know, I was feeling like I needed to control a lot. Um, you know, my kids were very little. I was terrified that they were going to find out the truth. I was also terrified that they might've inherited something 
And all I knew was, you know, if you keep your finger on the pulse at all times, then you won't miss anything. And you won't go through that kind of, you know, experience again, like something that devastating. Um, then through my healing, um, I let go of a lot. Um, I think the more, you know, I, again, I, I always kind of did things the opposite ways than my parents did things. So, you know, I knew, I knew the cost of putting your kids down and not telling them that they are amazing human beings just for existing. So that was a very, very important thing to me, even when I didn't know any better of, you know, how, how to live my own life. Well, it was like, I know what I needed to hear as a kid. And so I did raise my kids as, you know, telling them that they are worthy and always giving them choice. You know, my older one in particular was always quite strong willed. You know, I think in utero, he, he knew exactly. You know. And, uh, he, you know, so I, I just with him, like, even if it came down to, you know, going to the store to buy him clothes when he was three, it was like, okay, there's the red shirt or the blue shirt, which one do you want? And letting him feel like he, he had, you know, had a choice in that. Because he actually, at that age, cared about what he wore. And you know, my younger one didn't care. He was just like, just give me my clothes, mommy. <laughs> but, but just honoring who they were as individuals as well, of just knowing like that was important to my older son. So honoring that, my younger one wanted that direction, but he was always, you know, he, he always marched to the beat of his own drum. And it was just like, okay, I got to let him be. And, you know, I don't agree with his clothing style all the time or, you know, didn't then it was like, cool, but this is his, his way of self-expression. And look at the smile on his face when he's wearing it. So I'm, I'm certainly not taking that away. Like I want to see that every day. So, so that's how I tried. Um, I tried to live my life into parent, um, you know, and at the same time, I was keeping this huge secret from them. Um, you know, I, I have to be honest about that too. And so there was, you know, that piece of me that was, you know, I, I told myself that it was better for them to not know at that stage in life. And, um, you know, I don't, I can't say that I have a regret about that because I know how, how children internalize everything. and. Um, they likely would have wondered if there was some way they could have saved their dad or maybe blamed themselves if they're, you know, that maybe somehow they might've said or done something wrong. So I don't have that regret, but I do regret not, you know, that lie kind of created a little bit of a wall between us. So I wish that had not been there as I was raising them. Does that know what parents do? I don't know. I can't speak for other people. Hmm. Now, I think we all, I, I don't think there are any two people in the world who parent in the same way. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, think, I think many of us have walls. Um, I don't know how far that extends because, yeah, it, it's everybody's unique. I guess, I mean, on, on, on your timeline, and I'm just conscious of you, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you had a lot going on at that time, you know, because mm -hmm. you talked about the diagnosis, you talked about, you know, having two young boys, 
a lot going on, your own sort of stuff, if you like, you know, the whole time. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's, what's your reflection back now in all that time? What's my reflection now? Now it happened. It's, it's in the past and today I choose differently. Mm. Mm. What sort of triggered with your, with your husband? I mean, what sort of, you know, how did that all come about? If you don't mind me asking. Which piece? I suppose with your husband and his diagnosis, ultimately, you know, and, and you know, going forward. So, um, I think it, his diagnosis made sense out of something that was not making sense. Mm. Um, and it also made it harder for me and maybe a little bit easier for him because once he had the diagnosis, it kind of gave him the permission to stop faking it as well. And so then, you know, then he stopped working. Um, he went on disability leave. He would spend days in bed when he was depressed. Um, sometimes we wouldn't see him for a couple of days when he was manic. Um, you know, there were a lot of erratic behaviors uh, that go along with that. Um, so when he wasn't working, I had to pick up a second job. And, um, and I was taking care of our two little ones because he was not in an emotional or physical place to be able to be a, a, you know, a caregiver for them much of the time, you know, and I didn't always, you know, I didn't know from day to day what his moods would, would be like, you know, whether he was okay or not. Sometimes it could shift from, you know, hour to hour. Um, so the, uh, you know, there was a lot of responsibility on me to to maintain the household so that was was extremely challenging um and you know while part of me felt relief in the sense that he you know okay now we can get him the treatment and we can get him the medication that he needs um the medication didn't work for him and some of them had very adverse reactions so that actually made things harder. And, you know, we got to a point where the only option was electroshock therapy. And he was like, nobody's going to fry my brain. Thank you. And I don't blame him. You know, that was terrifying. And yet that was the only thing that at that point they were thinking was going to work. And then, you know, that's, that's when we lost him. So, um, you know, it, lots, lots and lots of challenges and lots of explanations of like, okay, now, now I get what's going on from what you've said there i mean it, it sounds like you know with with your husband i mean the fact that he's able to you know with the electric shock therapy to make a conscious decision but then there's almost like the other person then do you know what i mean it, it, it's yeah. coming across in multi-personality there as well yeah i mean there was a lot going on he had voices that were telling him things you know he went into psychosis at one point i'm not sure you know that he necessarily should have been the one to be making the decision. Um, you know, and that, that's where I see a lot of um, failures in our, in our system globally when it comes to mental health challenges. Um, because I actually had put him in the hospital two, two weeks before he passed away. I'd had him admitted. Ironically, I thought he might accidentally hurt himself or somebody else. I didn't think it would be intentional. Um, 
but he talked his way out of it and they believed him. And, you know, I, you know, there, there's here in Canada, we call it a form one where you, you have somebody admitted. Um, and so, you know, this happened on a Friday evening and on Sunday they called me and said, listen, we've got to release him. And I said, can't you wait till tomorrow and call his psychiatrist? Like he's got a couple of years worth of, of records, maybe you and the psychiatrist who he sees every week can make that decision together. And they said, sorry, we can't hold him against his will. And so they released him. And of course, you know, he was talking his way out of it. He was like, he said like, Oh, you know, my wife is pissed off at me and she's just being a bitch and I would never hurt myself. Like she's crazy. Like he was saying all of that. And, and they were like, yeah, okay, go. And they let him out. And first thing he did was he made plans to go to New York city or New York where he had an old high school friend. He told me he wanted to go away for a few days and, and see his friend. I thought, okay, great. You know, maybe that'll be good for you. And that's where he died. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, um, you know, sad in that way. And, you know, I see it as a failure in the sense of, of the healthcare system of, of, why wouldn't you wait 12 hours or 24 hours and get, get a full picture? Why are you taking this person's word for it? Mm. You know, not, not talking to the family. And not only that, they released him. There were no follow-up calls. There was no information for me on, you know, this is how you need to be. This is what you should look out for. It was, you know, as though he had gone in, you know, to get a cast put on his arm, cast was put on and they're like, okay, see, I come back in six weeks. Actually, then you come back. There wasn't even a follow-up. So it was, it was literally just treated like that. And, you know, from clients that I've spoken to and conversations I've had with many people, it's, it's a, a problem globally that, um, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's not dealt with well. And, and there are a lot of, a lot of gaps. This is where we're losing lives. What's, can you sort of be any perception of what his sort of mindset or, or reasoning was at that time, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, I can, because he called me right before he died. Um, he told me that he his brain was bad and it was only getting worse. Um, the voices in his head were getting louder and were telling him th to do things that he knew would be harmful to our family. And he didn't know how to stop them. And he thought this was better for the family. What do you, what do you make of that now? Um, I don't, that was where he was at, mm. you know, I, I, I don't have a judgment about it. I don't, you know, I think he thought that was the right thing. And I know he was in tremendous pain. Um, he, he really only shared this with me right before he passed. And, you know, he, he shared little bits of information with different friends. So it was after, only after he died that people came to me and said, you know, it's interesting because he said da, 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 to me. And then that's when I could put the whole picture together of what was really going on for him. But I think he thought he was protecting all of us. Mm. Um, and, you know, he was not, he was not himself at the end. 
you know, he, he was a very, you know, I mean, I guess he was in the sense that he loved his family tremendously. And I think this is, you know, what he thought was the right thing, but, um, you know, he, he, he wasn't, he wasn't himself. He was a very, very, very sick person. And so, um, you know, he, he did what he thought in, in that state was the right thing to do. How do you feel all about it all now? I mean, that's maybe a stupid question. I don't know, but. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's hard to answer because the, there are mm. so many different pieces of all of it. Um, you know, there's obviously sadness. A beautiful human being lost his life. I lost a man I loved. I don't know what, you know, what the future would have brought. I don't know where we would be today. I know my children lost their father, um, you know, and, and I also know that he was, was suffering terribly. So, you know, as I, I was saying, when you asked me to describe myself, like I, I try to come from a place of love and compassion and see that for him and and for all of us that i think you know we were all doing our best in a very difficult situation and coming from you know places where we didn't know any better you know for whatever reasons and so i can only have compassion for for everybody that was involved in it and, and is you know that survived it I mean, there's a number of things, obviously, you know, I'm cautious of your, you know, your perfectionism, you know, as you mentioned there, the, as mm -hmm. been at that time, you mm -hmm. know, the sort of family connotations, the, you know, yeah. just everything coming together and um, really all those. Yeah. Very, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. What's in terms of, symptom or cause i mean what's your take on it you know and, and so the diagnosis you mentioned was bipolar and schizophrenia yeah yeah um you know it manifests itself in different ways in different individuals i think if you know anybody listening is interested in or concerned look it up mm. um get your own information now there's so much more available than was available at mm. the time um, ask the questions, talk to the professionals, because, you know, the way it, it, it manifested with my husband is different than, than other people's experiences. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and not being uh, somebody who's professionally trained, I, I'm reluctant to go into, into the details of that. But, um, you know, I think really we all have a responsibility to educate ourselves um, in, in, all aspects of mental health and our own mental health and just knowing and, and making the choices, you know, that will, will help us and keep us, you know, healthier. Mm. And also understand that, you know, adults are going to make their own choices and, and we are not responsible for those too. Mm. After all that happened, I mean, talk to us about your journey and cause you know, you mentioned about your, you know, this of the 11 years as you tagged it. Can you talk mm -hmm. to us about that? Um, yeah, it was um, a time of being closed off, um, not letting people in. I didn't talk about my husband because I just didn't want the conversation to come up around his death. Um, I went through my own mental health challenges. I, I had depression because, you know, from... I mean, I think just a lifetime of everything that I was holding in, 
And then this huge, huge lie that I was carrying and, and just kind of shoved everything down and like, don't go there, don't touch it, don't deal with it. Um, that, you know, impacted me physically and mentally. Um, and then having anxiety. And, you know, so, you know, just being in fear. And again, the fear from that was instilled in me as, as a child to now this fear of, of being called out uh, for, you know, making this choice that I made of, of what the truth was and, and just tolerating things, not feeling like I deserved better. That's, that's quite a, it's quite a shopping list of things really, you know, from, right. You know, it's like, I mean, I, I yeah. you know, just so many, so many things there. Mm-hmm. Were you aware of your state? I mean, what, I mean, not entirely. No, I think that's, um, I was just on autopilot and I didn't really, you know, I knew things were hard. Mm. I knew, um, I came from an unhealthy family, um, but I didn't understand Mm. how much it was really impacting me. It's always, that's the thing, you know, at some point, you know, as you say, like people compare, you know, my family's crazy. It's like, no, no, you should see mine. You know, it's almost, but when you isolate, I suppose, and, and then mm-hmm. depression, anxiety and perfectionism and everything else thrown together, it's it's almost worse when you stop, com- not, not when you stop comparing, you just think that's normal, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's all I knew. Mm. So what happened? Um that changed it. Mm. It was, it was the 45th birthday. It was looking at my life and where I was and um, yeah, the pain, the pain. The expression, you know, great overwhelm comes great change. And it seems like, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did it, I'm curious about that. I mean, was there a particular, was it, the birthday was it something that happened it was or? it was a lot of things that happened around the time of the birthday that um, you know th- there were a number of things there was you know an incident of like two days after my birthday I saw my dad at the grocery store we actually didn't live too far away from each other but he wasn't speaking to me and you know I, I was on my phone and I looked up and I saw him and we made eye contact briefly like he had been watching me and then as soon as we made eye contact he looked away very quickly and and that was it and in my head I thought don't you want to wish me a happy birthday daddy and um you know being pretty devastated by that sharing it with my then boyfriend who kind of brushed it off and and didn't understand you know, the impact of that. So then feeling rejected a second time, getting fully triggered and then having him laugh at me being triggered. And so and realizing like, oh my God, like, who am I with? What am I doing? And the moment of realization of I am choosing to be with him. I am choosing these things and I can choose something different. 
that was really what was so pivotal. And that's where it was, you know, like, yeah, I've lived in all this pain and I'm choosing not to do that anymore. I'm not living another 45 years like this. So it was, I think that for me was, was a huge pivot of making a commitment to myself that I actually did deserve better. Mm. It's, I mean, two words that obviously jump out there is choice and pivot, you know, yeah. deciding. Yeah. You know, yeah. And realizing you've got to potentially a midpoint in your life, statistically, give or take, and you sort of go, well, we can follow a line here. This is where we're going for the rest or. Right. Right. You can, you can choose. Yeah. And realizing I was doing it everybody else's way and it wasn't making me happy. So what if I tried to do it my own way, whatever that is, you know, first I had to learn <laughs> how to do that. But, um, but yeah, realizing like it, it can't get much worse than lying for 10 years about your husband's suicide Mm. being in a, you know, a, you know, borderline emotionally abusive relationship, you know, being in a job where you're going in every day and punching in numbers when you know that's not what you should be doing, you know, and, and you know, even just the type of work I was doing um, went against a number of my values. And um, so just recognizing all of that, that I was living for everyone else and yet I was suffering. Mm. Mm. so just saying okay i'm 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 done with that there's got to be a better way and i hope somebody tells me <laughs> but yeah what was the healing process for you then the healing part process was pretty intense um i did um you know traditional talk therapy i did emdr which is um for trauma it's a trauma therapy it's um reprogramming our mind pretty pretty cool stuff um and i did somatic work as well because they say trauma is trapped in our bodies so it's it's releasing the trauma that's trapped in our fascia uh so i did all of that that's when i started to do the coaches training um I was very, I'm very grateful to a very close friend of mine who at the time had become a coach and intuitively knew that I would, I would be great at that job. And she was just like, you know, you need to take this course. And I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't, I was just like, I don't know. I don't want whatever, you know, it was a lot of money. And she was just like, just try it out. It's like, you know, go for the first two and a half days. You'll get a lot out of it in your current job, like learning mm -hmm. certain skills and um, yeah, going to that course and realizing like, Oh my God, these are my people. This is where I need to be. This is, you know, this is very different than, you know, the way I had grown up and the people I had overall surrounded myself with. This was a place where like, I remember the first day they actually put a label on our arms it was a sticker and the word fail was written on it. And you got a star for every time you failed. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it was terrifying for me. I mean, imagine I'm a deer caught in headlights. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> like, you know, but then once I, I leaned into it, it was just like, oh, 
there's so much permission here to do whatever and be whatever. And I just, I couldn't get enough. And it was just like, okay, sign me up for everything. So doing that and, and, you know, there, there's a lot of healing that comes in that work too. And challenging, I mean, coaching is, is challenging our limiting beliefs. So, you know, in the training, we're coaching each other. You're, you know, everybody's kind of contemplating what their own beliefs are. So yeah, it was, you know, healing a lot of the past, physically and psychologically, and then as well, moving into the forward, you know, into the future of who do I want to be and how do I want to show up now that I have a choice. <laughs> so, That's Amazing. Again, there's the word choice. Yeah. Yeah. Choice is big. Mm. It's always, uh, I suppose for you, and, and it sounds like, you know, leaning in there, I think is a, is a great term, you know, because you, you have, you chose to to actually go on the path, but it also mm-hmm. sounds like once you start to pull a bit of the string that you can't, you can't stop, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. <laughs> Did you feel like you were sort of moving into your purpose? or what? Describe to me that sort of feeling. Um, yeah, I think, I think I did. It took a while because there, there was a lot of undoing first. But it felt right. And I felt free. And that's, you know, and, you know, again, that's my top value. And, and that's what I kept leaning into of just like, this feels good. You know, life doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be painful. Like, I don't believe in the no pain, no gain. Like, no, actually, you can have lots of gains and not feel the pain. Like we don't need to suffer to get what we want. So changing those stories and then leaning into them and then realizing, wow, I've overcome that. Now I see what my purpose is, is, is helping people overcome what their limiting beliefs are and saying like, yes, I've lived it. I've come from a, a lot of darkness and and now my life is filled with light and it's possible for anyone and and you know having that desire to share that with others and see others find their own light um feels very purposeful and and so you know it was a process for sure it's i love that expression you know the one that sort of comes up is you know to know what is it to know the light you've got to see the darkness or vice versa obviously in your case yeah you know and you, you can see it and what's coming across is almost that you've inverted that negative energy. That's what I'm sort of getting in terms of, you know, well, you tell me, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, hopefully. Yeah, I I think, you know, it, it's a complete rewire mm. of of the way that I'm, I thought and what I believe to be true. Um, you know, it's that's the best way I could describe it. It's, it's literally rewiring everything and, and challenging the beliefs. You know, that, that was a big piece of it. True. And I never thought to question it, but now I am. Mm. And so then, you know, moving into that place of constantly questioning, okay, why do I believe this? Does believing this serve me? How does it serve me? <laughs> and again, does it give me the freedom and the joy that I, you know, now know is how I want to live? Mm-hmm. You know, and that, you know, it goes back to the beginning of our chat where we were talking about alignment and, you know, 
that's it. That when I'm, I'm being true to me, that's, that's complete alignment. And knowing that that's right. And that when I'm in this place, you know, of, of love, of compassion for myself, for others, of groundedness, of challenging those beliefs, I will always show up as my best. Mm. Like it just, it's guaranteed <laughs> and whatever my best is. And, and again, mm. my best doesn't have to be perfect. It's, it's just, it's my best. And I'm okay with that, whatever that looks like. What, what do you see as your gift or your, your purpose now? Um, well, my gift and my purpose, I think um, I see it a little differently. Um, my purpose, I think right now, well, I mean, I think it's, it's to share my light and my love, um, help others find their own light and, and their, their source of love. And hopefully that can come from within. Um, and, you know, my gift is being able to go into really dark places with other people because I've been there already on my own journey. Mm. Um, I can be with a lot of darkness. There's very little that shocks me. Um, I don't judge it because I know we, you know, we've all made choices that we, we you know, think had I known differently or, you know, maybe I could have done better. And, and that's okay. And it's just embracing, embracing the messiness. So I think that's it. And, and being able to be with all the emotions that come with it as well. Mm. And not, not running from it, not wanting to dodge it, just saying, yeah, it's here. Like, just be. <laughs> Who do you think you can serve the best? I think the people I serve the best um, are people who um, are in similar situations than what I've lived through. Um, people that, you know, and it doesn't have to be the same life experience, but I mm. think it's often similar belief systems that, that we don't have choices, that we don't deserve better, that we have to do, you know, we have to please other people, those kinds of things. People that maybe, you know, have um, little self-worth, you know, and, and helping them, them find, find their truth. Yeah, absolutely. So what does the, the future hold for you? I don't know yet. <laughs> I, know, I know there's a book. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm starting to work on that. Hopefully, hopefully more of this work. Mm. And, um, you know, at the same time, growing and staying open to whatever comes my way. Because I know when I'm alignment in, in alignment, great things have happened. And if you had told me two years ago that I'd be having this conversation, that I'd be getting on stages talking about, you know, my husband's suicide and all this dark stuff, I'd be like, you're out of your mind there's no way in hell like so I didn't tell some of my best friends you know they they didn't know the truth about my husband <laughs> so I hit a lot and the fact that like now I I'm out publicly talking about all of this stuff I wouldn't believe you so I I you know I see good things for myself I see continuing to do the work that brings me joy now and staying open to the potentials that I don't even see yet just curious, I mean, what, what do you see has been harder, easier, uh, I mean, that's perception, but, you know, in terms of uh, processing, you know, was it, was it your, you know, the event with your husband or was it your own 
your own story and journey that you, you know, processing wise? I think it was all of it. Sorry, my battery is, is about to die, so I'm no. <laughs> <laughs> little tech moment. Now I'm going to pop these out. Okay. Ah, no. <laughs> um, so it's really hard to say. I, I don't think I could pinpoint. I think it's, it's yes to everything, all of it, because I don't think we can heal one aspect of our life and ignore other areas. Mm. I think, um, I think when we're doing the work, we have to just be ready to embrace it all. I love it. Yeah, it's, as you say, there's different parts and I suppose it's, it's impossible to compare as, as such, you know. Tell me this, yeah. what's, a, what's a bit of a guilty pleasure for you? What's a guilty pleasure? Hmm. Well, dance, but it's not even guilty. I, you know what? I don't feel guilty okay, about anything that gives me pleasure. Yeah, dance, although that's pretty limited these days. Um, you know, right now for me, pleasure is, is being with people I love, being in nature, you know, all, all these things that are just like, oh gosh, the pandemic's really <laughs> put a damper on a lot of those things. Um, but, but even just treating myself kindly, mm. um, you know, I, I found during the pandemic that yes, while, while we were limited in so many social interactions and activities, I could create a lot of that in my own home and create some of those same feelings. So for me, you know, this was a period of time where I got really healthy. I got very fit. I started eating better. And for me, that was pleasurable of like, you know what, I'm honoring myself and my body and, and feeling really good. I'm getting a lot of sleep, you know, couldn't go out anywhere. So it's like, okay, I'm going to bed at 10 every night. And oh my God, I felt great every day. <laughs> so, you know, I think it, it's, it's making do and, and just, again, having that mindset of, okay, what, what will bring me joy today? What can I do? And, and seeking it out and finding it and doing it and not, not limiting myself at all. And you mentioned journaling there. Do you still do you still journal? I still journal. Yes, not daily, but um, but definitely um, when there are big things going on, I journal. Um, if I'm not feeling great, then I do gratitude journaling. Um, it's you know always great to remind ourselves of what we're grateful for, and well, and now that I'm I'm writing my book, you know, I think that's taken the place of the journaling. It's kind of one and the same, really, isn't it, I suppose, in some ways? Yeah. I mean, I see journaling as like, this is what's going on for me in the moment versus uh, this is a story that I'm, I'm telling others about maybe something that happened in the past. Sure, sure. That's no, it's awesome. So tell us, fire in the belly for you then, what, what is your fire in the belly in one or two words? Hmm. Love illuminated. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. No. <laughs> wow. I love that. That's, thank you. 
I love the smile. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. I genuinely appreciate it. You know, and this wasn't where I was expecting to go, but that's great. That's the joy. Of Me neither. <laughs> how can people reach out to you, follow you, track you down, learn more? Yeah, um, you can find me on my website, which is michelleanhangcoaching.com. I'm also all over social media with the same handle, Michelle Anhang Coaching, um, pretty much everywhere but TikTok because my kids won't let me go on it. <laughs> Apparently, I'm too old. They're like, please don't be one of those moms. So. <laughs> Is that the reason why you should be doing it? Well, I say I'm not on it right now. <laughs> I'm a little bit tempted, but then I'm also like, oh, then I have to make videos, <laughs> more videos. So, yeah, Keep it's maybe a matter of time. But really, you can find me everywhere. <laughs> Any closing thoughts? Gratitude to you. Thank you for, for having me on the show. Thank you for taking this conversation into places I didn't expect to go um, and for holding, holding the space for me to, to go there and, you know, mirror back for me where I'm at today, because, you know, I'm, I'm ending this call going, I'm, I'm, you know, pat on the back. I'm doing pretty damn good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you for being, holding that mirror. <laughs> no worries. It's been an absolute pleasure. Michelle, thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing from you in the future. Thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.